This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Ken Ling, and in this episode, we are going to hear about what it's like to be a gig economy driver. I am joined by Lloyd Walmsley, who is our lead equity analyst that covers the US internet space, including rideshare and food delivery. Many of us have used ride-sharing apps as a customer and probably thought about driving for some. I personally never have done so, but Lloyd has. Lloyd, you've transported people and food to help inform your investment thesis. To start, could you share about the process of signing up and dealing with customers and restaurants? What stood out to you? Thanks, Ken. It's great to be here with you talking about my experience. Uh, I learned from mentors the best way to understand an industry or a company was to uh, get deep into the product and uh, the industry. And uh, that's what we tried to do. And and to your question on the sign experience, I have to say it was pretty easy. It, it was a little harder on the rideshare platforms relative to food delivery. Uh, on rideshare, you go through more extensive background checks, uh, but you know that all happens in the background and the actual process of signing up was pretty easy, uh, pretty heavily mobile-based. You could do it all without really even logging into a desktop computer uh, on your phone, and it was pretty quick. I got approved to do f- uh, food delivery the same day and rideshare without uh, much of a delay, so the process was pretty easy. That's fantastic. Let's talk about who it makes sense for. If I wanted some extra cash doing this part-time job, does that make sense or does it only make sense for people who can do it full-time? I think it's really well uh, well suited for people who want to make extra cash without committing a lot of time. It's very easy to turn on the app and start getting rides or food delivery requests and make some extra cash. And when you you know talk to the the, the platform companies, most people who are doing food delivery do it for five hours or less a week. It's a little longer on the rideshare side, but uh, there are a lot of people who do this on a very short-term basis. And I think, you know, it's a, it's an easy, it's pretty easy way to make an extra buck. And depending on the city you're in, the wages are, in fact, uh, in my experience, pretty good. Uh, a lot of it is is compensated through tip. There's also platform payments, but I got in one delivery a $24 tip for delivering food. So uh, if you get the right the right order, you can you can make a lot of money. But uh, I think it's pretty good money uh, for unskilled labor. That's that's great to hear. So when you're driving people around, do you prefer small talk from your customers or just silent so you can focus on your job? From my experience, I had some conversations that were really enjoyable. And then, of course, you have passengers who want things to just, they just want to put on the music channel they want to listen to. When you had the right uh, passenger and the right conversation, it was fun. I I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm an equity analyst, so clearly I like to talk. Uh, So having a good passenger conversation, I found enjoyable. uh, and, And it has changed how I behave on the margin when I'm a passenger in in one of these vehicles. So if someone wants to talk, uh, I'm, I'm always happy to strike up a conversation and uh, and learn something new. 
Great, thanks for that. So when, when these ride-sharing companies first came out, they only delivered people, transported people. But now the industry has evolved where most, if not all of them, deliver food as well. Let's talk about the restaurant partners of these ride-sharing companies. It, it seems like I see a lot of national chains on these apps, but uh, not a lot of smaller shops. Do you think ultimately the, these ride-sharing services will deliver food for these smaller shops or, and are the economics good for them? Well, when I was doing the delivery side, I did m probably more from the chain side than the smaller side, but it was probably a, somewhere close to 50-50. And, and definitely from an end user perspective, you do see a wide variety of selection. I, I think like anything else, people do gravitate towards brands they know. So there's, there is a lot of demand on these platforms for large chains. In terms of the economics, you read a lot of news stories about restaurants uh, complaining about high fees, and I think there are elements of that. Uh, you know, there are elements of that. The fees are quite high, but I think there are ways that restaurants have been able to make this work from an economic standpoint. For one, they can change the prices on the menus uh, for people using these third-party delivery apps, and that that has helped. To some extent, uh, the fees are borne by the consumer as well. Uh, and then to some extent, you're talking about incremental. You know, if, the, if a restaurant moved their entire business over to these apps, it might not work. But if on an incremental basis, they can, you know, fill up orders when things are slow, even if the unit economics for a small restaurant aren't as good as they are overall, uh, they're making incremental profits. They're able to keep employees busy uh, during quieter times, and so I think I think the business will scale to to include a a nice mix of large and small restaurants. Can we talk about profits for a little bit? I I see a lot of promotions out there, such as these services will give me twenty dollars off a twenty five dollar order or ride. To me, these companies are, are, are paying to, to grab market share. Going forward, do you think the industry will focus more on disciplined spending or continue focus on market share? Yeah, we've seen a lot of competition for market share across this space. And we have seen things start to get more disciplined. And one uh, area where it's clearly become more disciplined over the broader life cycle of these companies would be in rideshare. Uh, it has, you know, we've definitely seen, for example, in the U.S., a fairly stable market share between the two leading players. And as a result, we've seen less need to incentivize consumers and less competition for market share. I think in food delivery, you see in certain markets, uh, stabilization in incentive levels, but there's still markets where there's intense competition. And then uh, more recently, this uh, move to quick delivery, uh, where you can order convenience items or, or grocery-like items uh, for, in some cases, a 15-minute delivery. There, we've seen uh, a, a lot of competition and incentives, but we have also started to see over the last few months a few of the smaller private players drop out of the space, uh, unable to make the unit economics work, unable to compete against some of the larger players. Uh, so I think we're seeing signs of rationalization 
but there's likely to be periods where you see competition. And, and one example more recently has been incentivizing users uh, to get back into rideshare as we've come out of the pandemic. You almost have to take your first ride a second time and get comfortable getting back into a rideshare vehicle. And so to some extent, we've seen some subsidies there, uh, although I think they're, they're likely to be short-lived. And uh, unfortunately, from a consumer perspective, uh, they're likely to, to taper off as we get more fully into the recovery. So it, it sounds like in terms of competition, you're expecting more consolidation, a lot of these smaller regional players roll up in, into the two or three larger rideshare players. Is that is that right? Yeah, we've seen some consolidation already uh, in, in the U.S. And you, you've also seen certain players pull out of certain markets. So if they're not one of the top handful of players and they're struggling, uh, in terms of market share, you've seen some rationalization in markets like Brazil and Japan. And I think you're likely to see more of that over the next few years to get to the point where there's really uh, a, a dominant, typically in these online marketplaces, there's one dominant player with 70% share and another with you know 25 and then m maybe a few smaller niche players. And I think the market will eventually look like that. Uh, of course, it will be different geo by geo because these are very much local marketplaces, but I do think there's likely consolidation ahead here. Great. Thank you for that. So, Lloyd, you, you have a pretty unique perspective. You currently sit in the seat of an investment analyst. You, you sat in a seat delivering food and people. With, with that in mind, what, what do you think are some initiatives or efficiency gains that the industry could implement? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's an important question for the companies because, you know, they are, uh, as as one company in the space likes to say, it's a game of inches and seconds, and it's all about eking out very small efficiencies and scaling those up, and that's how they're going to see profit margin scale uh, from here. And one thing I noticed as a, as a driver was there was not a lot of batching. There was a little bit of batching uh, where you take multiple orders from a single restaurant and deliver those uh, one after the other without having to go back and pick up food again. Uh, that's something that, that can grow with time and density and, and make for a lower cost per delivery. Another thing I noticed was a few incidences where uh, for example, I was uh, given an order to pick up at a national chain, and then I drove it five miles. And when I got there, I noticed there were much closer uh, stores that I could have that could have sourced that 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 food order. And so I think there's still some inefficiencies with the routing and optimization software. And so I think as they as these companies get better and better at 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 optimization, as you get more network density, there's still efficiencies to be gained in terms of cost per delivery that, that can help drive towards profitability. Very insightful. Appreciate that. Let's uh, talk about disruption in this space. There's a lot of popular themes out there. Uh, let's start with electrification. This has been a very popular investment theme, and I've personally seen a lot more electric cars and scooters on the road. How do you think this will disrupt the space? So there is a big push uh, for uh, electrification 
both from from the platforms and and obviously from governments. And I think the primary benefit there is lower operating costs. So, you know, somebody in an electric or a hybrid vehicle is going to have much better fuel efficiency, and in theory, you know, able to earn higher net wages uh, with with lower costs. And so, I think that has the potential to not just you know have a have a positive impact on the environment but also un- ultimately make the underlying economics of these businesses better and, and so that's part of why uh, a lot of these platforms are striking partnerships with electrical vehicle players and uh, pushing governments to actually help uh, accelerate the shift to electrification it, it should be a good thing uh, for the for the businesses and 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 for uh, the environment great. Thank you. Let's uh, look a little further out. There, there's been a lot of chatter about autonomous vehicles transforming the, the ride-sharing industry. Are we moving towards that, or is that still a, a dream from science fiction? Yeah, we're getting closer and closer. There are uh, trials underway in several U.S. cities. Uh, in uh, There's trials in California, in Arizona, uh, where people are getting driven around in autonomous vehicles without safety drivers in some cases. And then we've seen vehicles mapping around uh, New York City as well. So I think it is very early, but uh, it will you know, happen. It's a question of when, not if. And one natural question is, will there be pure play autonomous vehicle companies that disrupt the, the rideshare businesses. And I think uh, it's clearly a risk to keep an eye on. But uh, one one thing that's unique about a rideshare company is they've got so much data on different rides that as, as we move into a world where autonomous vehicles are a reality, they'll know when you hail a ride, your pickup and your drop-off and the route you're going and whether that's something best suited for a robot car versus a human driver. And so I think even if there is a disruption risk, ultimately, uh, while we while we still work towards that true level five autonomy, we will see rideshare networks as the first uh, port of call for how these autonomous vehicles make their way uh, into you know scaled commercial deployments. Uh, and so I think it's it's a it's a risk, but also an opportunity for the pl- for the platforms today. And then, you know, there's also trials for autonomous food delivery as well. And in that case, there's probably a slightly higher threshold for uh, safety because uh, you're carrying a sandwich, uh, not a human being. Uh, but there's still still a long way to go before that's a scaled reality. And then, and then the other autonomous angle here that we keep an eye on would be drone delivery. Uh, there's tests going on. Uh, in the U.S., uh, in in North Carolina, for example, doing uh, drone delivery of food, and it seems like there the technology is is perhaps closer at hand uh, for drone delivery than it is uh, for autonomous vehicles at scale. Uh, there's obviously a lot of regulatory conditions that need to get met and and testing that needs to be done, but I don't think we're that far off from drones delivering your sandwich as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Lloyd. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. I personally think this is a very exciting space that is transforming quickly. 
I learned a lot and I hope our listeners have too. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. I hope you enjoyed the conversation on Rideshare with me, Kenneth Ling from Product Management, and I was talking to Lloyd Walmsley, head of US internet coverage. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regular or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2022. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.